Let's talk about it. In 2020, 62% of all lawyers were men, meaning that 47%-ish were women, which is the highest that it has ever been. Men are still the highest earners by far. Equity partners in multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men. In 2021, 22% of equity partners were women, but only 9% were people of color. Why is that? Why is that? Well, if you ask any female attorney, they'll tell you why, because the people who have been in power and who are in positions of power have been notably white men, statistically. Hello, and welcome to Law Her, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is Lahar. Best known for reading public depositions on TikTok, Reb Maisel doesn't just entertain her 1.1 million followers. She creates an outlet for legal professionals and demonstrates to young lawyer hopefuls that who can be attorney doesn't stop at Ally McBeals or Alexandra Cabot's of SBU fame. We discuss leveraging social media as a platform for representation, privilege, and bringing others with you. On the path to becoming a lawyer, confidence did not come easily, and Rock Bottom had many basements. Her desire to be the best, not just for herself, but for future clients, pushed her through. Reb shares with us one of the experiences while in law school that best prepared her for life in the legal field. Let's dive in. One MOOCOR competition that I did with my partner, we advanced to nationals for, it's called the um, Sal Lefkowitz International Trademark Association competition. And at the time we, you know, had had a couple weeks notice to learn trademarks and to do this, to write the brief and, and to learn and to figure it out and do this competition. And at the time, my partner and I were both externing full-time. And so we very much were not shooting for the stars with this competition. But of course, we are competitive to our detriment. The first rounds uh, were hosted in eight different cities around the world. Um, ours was obviously in Los Angeles. So all of the law schools, um, USC, UCLA, USD, all of the ones you know around here, and then a few in the Northern Coast came to LA to, to compete, to try to advance to nationals, which would be hosted in Washington, D.C. And so, you know, Several law schools had packed the court, for lack of a better phrase. They had sent several teams and Pepperdine sent us. And we were sleep deprived. You know, we had barely had any time to prepare. We showed up and we said, you know, we're going to give it our all. And we winged it. And the kicker that we actually found out the day of was that actual federal district court judges from the central district would be judging. They were the only ones who were going to be judging. It was arguing to people whose entire job was this. And as, you know, a second year law student who is definitely not barred yet and definitely has not taken trademarks, we ended up winning. Wow. And advancing. And, and you know, and we have photos where, where even our poker faces, one, one thing I learned, poker face needed, needed a little bit of work because at the award ceremony when they called our name, Typically, you know, you would be very humble and stand up and, you know, say thank you. And Talia and I started laughing because we thought there's just no way. There's simply no way. So we thought, oh, we have it in the bag. We got such great feedback. The judges loved us. 
We flew to DC a couple weeks later and had our butts handed to us. These judges, like they were, you know, trade essentially like trademark justices were so, it was as if we had, we had never argued in our entire lives. That's how it felt. That's how they looked. That's how, they, that's how our feedback was. The lesson that I learned that I was fortunate to learn early on was don't get comfortable. You have no idea how another judge, another attorney, another jury, another anybody is going to take your argument. You don't know a lot about this area of law, about a lot of different things, about strategy, about all of this. And, you know, putting your best foot forward should always change between the next step. So that was a great lesson that I learned. It was it was obviously an honor and such a great opportunity to be able to advance to nationals and do, and do that. And I think it does translate to being a lawyer because the law is very strict, obviously. It's black and white. And like your job as a lawyer is somewhat, it's very structured and yet it can be very unpredictable. <laughs> Highs and lows. <laughs> as uh, any litigator will know, your client will give you new facts every week that you absolutely should have known day one, that you do not learn for months later because they said, well, why, why did I have to tell you that? And you just have to sweat and, you know, change the game, calling audibles. Change it up. Yeah, I love it. So for aspiring lawyers, having just kind of been through law school, where would you put like 80% of your energy if you had to do it all over again? Uh, I would do it exactly the same if I did it over again. When it comes to law school, when it comes to how I approached law school, what I dedicated my time to, what opportunities I decided to take. And that doesn't have to do with me knowing everything. I knew nothing. I am zero or 100, as my parents will tell you right out of the womb. I am either 100% throwing myself into something or I am absolutely coasting. And so I told myself the day before law school orientation, okay, I don't know anything. I have no preconceived notions about what I'm going to learn, what type of law I want to be, how law school is going to be like, but I'm just going to assume that it's worse than what people have told me it is. Expect the worst, hope for the best. And I'm going to do my very best at everything that I do in law school, because if I throw my all at something, at a class, at a final, at MOOC or at law review, anything like that, and you know, I throw my all into it and I come out and I get a C average, then hell yeah, I got a C average. I'm going to own it because that was the best that I could do. And that's nothing to be ashamed of, but I just didn't want to walk away from the field and feel like I didn't leave it all on the field, on the court. It led to a lot of um, physical, emotional, mental unwellness, I will say, right? Anyone who can say that they've, they they gave it their all at law school and ended up doing well will say that it was the, one of the hardest things that they've ever had to do to do that consistently for three years. The stamina and endurance alone is exhausting and honestly a feat. I don't think that I could do it again, literally. But I would say that giving it my all the first time around and not underestimating it and just wanting to throw myself into it, not to beat someone else and not to just get a good grade, but to actually feel like I was the most prepared for this field, for the people that I would represent and advocate for later. Mm -hmm. They deserved it. The future clients deserved my all now, whether it would help me or not. Balance is very difficult to strike. So to have low expectations or no expectations, almost yeah. pessimism 
right? But then also a good attitude, confident, hopeful. That's a very difficult balance to strike. Um, so kudos to you. Oh, my rock bottoms had several basements. It was like, I kept building a wine cellar. Are you kidding? I was not at all times, <laughs> right? People, I, I have people on, on TikTok who comment or me a lot and ask me about, you know, confidence and how to be secure in yourself. And I will absolutely not sit here and say that I was this person throughout law school. I am also ext- just extremely competitive. That was helpful to maintain, you know, the effort that I put into things, but there were many a sad night where I thought, what am I doing? This is a nightmare. This is awful. I can't do this. I don't think that I can do this. I am losing my mind. I had trouble sleeping my first year because I would just wake up in the middle of the night thinking like, oh my God, like before a final, I, I would just wake up thinking, oh my gosh, like that really smart girl in the front row definitely is getting more. Like she went to, she went to Dartmouth. Like I can't, you know, I, I, I can't compete and I'm over here doing flashcards, like freaking out. So, so, you know, not, not everything the, the final result, what it was great. You know, I, I graduated, you know, in the top 10 of my class, that was awesome. I was able to do moot court and be very successful at it because, you know, the legal reasoning and writing course at Pepperdine law is particularly stellar. And it has a reputation, at least in the LA area and among LA law schools for being fantastic. I was able to, you know, do well on law review, you know, get on law review and feel really confident about my, my legal writing, which is obviously the cornerstone of everything that we do. The final result of all of it is so great, but in the moment for aspiring attorneys, I would say, you know, just because your best isn't someone else's best, right? Your best was a B average or a C minus or whatever, doesn't mean that you are lesser or doesn't mean that you won't be as stellar of an attorney later on. It simply doesn't. If you can throw your all into something and and, and be self-aware and know that there's room for improvement, that is 90% of the battle. That is being a lawyer. So you are clearly very motivated. <laughs> Was law always on the table? Did you always want to be a lawyer? <laughs> I, uh, no, I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was a kid. And then I learned uh, that you had to take science. Like you had to be very you know, science related, which was a sh- to my shock and horror. I, I was very, it just <laughs> threw me for a loop. Yeah, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do going into undergraduate school. I went to UC Santa Barbara, go Gauchos, um, adored that school. Fantastic, fantastic university. I loved it. And going into it, I, you know, did, did great on my SATs, had a great GPA. I got into UC Santa Barbara and that was like my W that was my win. And for me and, and, you know, for my family, when they would ask me what I wanted to do, all I knew was that I wanted to do school for as long as I could. I loved school. I was good at school. I knew I was good at school. I love learning. I love history and everything you ever learn is just a mini history lesson when it comes, even if it's like English or, or language or Spanish, it's all history. And so I, you know, wanted to have fun in college. And that is very much what I did. Uh, I changed my major a bajillion times. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I figured I'd just, you know, go to grad school and get my master's in history or get my PhD and then figure it out from there. And I studied abroad spring of 2016. So the spring of my junior year in college, and it was uh, an international and global studies program at the University of Geneva. So it was taking courses at the UN in international environmental law in, in, you know, at, at the WHO, learning from people who were working on the ground during the AIDS crisis in, in the 80s. And it was so eye-opening. And I really, really 
thought, okay, maybe the legal world is something I can consider. And I literally flew home starting my senior year. It was June or July of right before my senior year. And my uh, roommate who ended up being my moot court partner in law school, Talia at the time said, oh yeah, I think I'm going to take the LSAT. And I said, oh, maybe I should too. I kid you not. That is how it is. And, you know, people said, if you're good at reading and writing and, you know, analysis, reading comprehension, uh, you should take the LSAT. So I thought I'll take it. I'll study for, I'll take it. I'll see if it, if it works out because I knew I, I needed to get, you know, a, enough scholarship money to be able to afford law school. And I took it and it ended up working out. So I literally knew I was going to law school a couple months before first day. When deciding how to best impact the world around you, the path forward may not be immediately clear. But when law school appeared as a means to that end, Rev went all in. I wanted to use what I was good at and what I loved to better other people's lives and to make an impact that wasn't just about myself. I wanted to bridge the gap between what I loved and what I was paid to do. And I am very fortunate that I found that bridge, which was to become a lawyer. And I, you know, during the entire time of law school, I never doubted that I wanted to be one because I, you know, I I showed up and I thought, why haven't I wanted to do this all along? But also the great part about being an attorney, you can flip a U-turn anytime you want when it comes to practice area, when it comes to what you're doing, when it comes to, you know, whether you're practicing, whether you're, you go into business, whether, whether you're in-house, whether you're a litigator, whether you're defense, whether you're a plaintiff's career changes for me are like my bread and butter and my brand and ministry. I love knowing I can change my mind. And a lot of people do. A lot of the women that I've talked to started in one area and they switched to this. They were working for a firm. Now they own their own. So you do have a ton of options inside of the legal industry. So, all right, let's talk about TikTok. So for those who do not know, which I imagine that number is getting smaller every day, you have a following of over 1 million on TikTok and you're probably best known for reading depositions that are as baffling as they are hilarious or tragic depending on how much faith in humanity you have. (laughs) So take us back to sort of that first spark of, oh, like this needs to happen. This needs to be a thing. The day that I started reading Iconic Court Transcripts, the Court Transcript series, which a lot of people might know me for, it was the worst day of a deposition with a very hostile witness um, who was not happy to be there. He was, you know, cursing at at counsel when we're trying to ask him questions, yelling at attorneys, asking us, you know, how do we sleep at night? And at that point, two hours in, I'm thinking, um, still pillowcase and AC on high, like, let's get it moving. And so he ended up, it was over Zoom. It was just, it's just, it was a very, it's a very complex, very messy, you know, very everything case. Whereas the associate, I was, you know, doing a lot of the brunt work when it came to preparing for the supposition and filing the motions and dealing with these witnesses and X, Y, Z. And he, this witness ended up uh, ending the deposition in the middle of it, just, just saying, I'm out ending the zoom, which as everyone knows, you know, wherever you practice, at least particularly in California, you cannot do that without, you know, sanctions, quote unquote, being rendered against that witness, resulting in you not being able to use that witness at trial or that testimony, yada, yada. And so 
the screen went black and I was, and I saw the next like couple weeks of work flash before my eyes of knowing, I mean, the motions I would have to file, you know, to continue it and all yeah. this, you know, to, all this stuff. And so I was exhausted. It was like 6 PM and I went to CVS and bought like $90 worth of stuff that I did not need. Um, you know, like lotions and creams, whatever. And retail therapy. And I saw a pair of sunglasses that I personally do not think are cute on me at all, which is the irony. I dug my own grave because now I have to wear them for every video. Uh, and I, I bought these sunglasses and I went home and, you know, I just made this video talk like saying, you know, I wish I could tell you guys about the absolute debauchery that just occurred in this deposition, you know? And even now, like I had, I mean, that entire deposition has so many sound bites in it that, that I would, that really are just gold. But obviously, as we all know, confidentiality, turn clap, which I can't share it. So I thought, you know, let's Google it. Let's see if there's others that are public that I can, that I can read and make myself feel better that I'm not alone. And so I recorded, uh, the first video of me in those stupid sunglasses, reading a couple that of hilarious, you know, transcript excerpts that I found online. One of them being an attorney asking, uh, you know, a witness, Oh, you know, are you sexually active? And the witness responding, no, I just lie there. And, and those, you know, it's just, it just really makes the profession go down. Like it just, and, 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 you know, it, 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 it's an ode to how much attorneys have to sit through and go through and hear and honestly laugh out amongst ourselves that we can't share with others all the time. And also an ode to every poker face a lawyer has had to pull off in scenarios like that, because we can't cackle. We cannot laugh. Like everybody has bad days. Everybody has terrible days. You were like trying to comfort yourself with your CVS purchases, you know? And then because of it, you're able to like, you know, not only sort of just like share your bad day with other people, but it has inspired this thing that now a million other people relate to and want to watch. Hundreds of thousands of comments and DMs and and views from so many attorneys and and paralegals and legal assistants and law clerks and staff that say, oh my God, thank you. Like I have so many, you know, people emailing me submissions that are hilarious. And then so, but, but, you know, so many more non-attorneys and people who aren't in this field who genuinely send me the most heartfelt kindness messages about how these are, you know, hilarious and the hilarity is getting them through a bad day or how they're like, I only downloaded this app so that I could see these right when they're posted. And I just am extremely fortunate to be able to have a vehicle unintentionally, you know, accidentally to just make people laugh and have a good time and also understand that not everything in court is just like a true crime, you know, docu-series podcast, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy. A lot of it is mundane, menial stuff. I'm preaching to the choir here, <laughs> but, but so much goes on that either, you know, some days it, it restores your faith in humanity because some people are genuinely hilarious and sometimes it breaks it down a little, but I like not knowing what day you're going to get. Did you anticipate it would get this big? No, I don't think anything anyone could have at all. It, it's overwhelming to think about numbers. I did not become a lawyer because I enjoy numbers. That is for sure. Um, I'm not a patent attorney either or a tax attorney. So great for me. When the first one, 
I think it was like part, it's like part 15, which is already, you know, so many part 15 was the one that, you know, now has like upwards of 8 million views or something like that. You know, 2 million likes those numbers. I cannot wrap my head around. I, I, I don't, my head around, I don't like to, I never would have anticipated it. And I am still in denial. Absolutely. If you ask any of my friends, they'll tell you that I am fully in denial. I just don't imagine myself as an influencer, quote unquote, creator, quote unquote. This is quite literally my personal account and my hobby that some people happen to enjoy. So then how are you managing your time? You're a lawyer and now you have a hobby that's taking a lot of time. Well, (laughs) I don't, first of all, um, a lot of people, even some of my friends too, uh, who are lawyers or who are, who are in law school, who just finished the bar yesterday. Congratulations to anyone who just did. Oh my goodness. They, you know, have, have dabbled in, you know, editing a TikTok or making a TikTok and they'll text me and go, Oh my God, how do you do this? I don't understand. This took me three hours. This took me two hours. And I started making TikToks when I was studying for the bar, which is ironic because most people would think, why would you spend that time doing it? And it was because my little sister uh, is very Gen Z. She was born in 2000. um, So she keeps me young and she humbles me violently. Uh, Mm. And she, when I was studying for the bar, my routine was wake up like 7, 7 a.m. And I was studying, you know, nine hours a day, six days a week. And at the end of those nine hours, you know, I would want to just do mindless. I wanted to stop my brain. I just wanted to do something that was like trash TV or, or reality TV or something. And so my sister would be sending me these TikToks. And of course, me being the stubborn millennial, I, I'm thinking, I don't, you know, that's that's a kid app. I don't need to download it. And she would get frustrated and say, you just need to download it to open these TikToks. So I downloaded it. And of course, you know, when I was done studying, me and my five followers, my law school friends, I would just make these funny TikToks that were bar related or something or another related that were just jokes or, you know, whatever, just to pass the time and to give me again, a crumb of serotonin, like just, just happy Mm -hmm. for a second. And so because of that, because I was able to learn how to kind of make a video and then figure out the app very early on before things started happening, I guess, with it. And it started getting popular around when I was sworn in in February of 2021. I do a lot of the videos or filming and things at night and they're not like planned out. I know that sounds very irresponsible, but my life as a you know billing attorney is very planned. I know exactly what I'm doing for work that day and what I'm going to be working on. And I'm going to have a meeting at this and I'm going to finish this motion here and I'm going to da. And so at night, I'll just be driving home and be like, hmm, that's a funny idea for a video and just go home and film it. And it'll take me like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then I'll post it the next day. So yes, it's time consuming. It's genuinely something that I do in my free time that makes me happy the same way that, you know, anyone would be posting on Instagram or, you know, anything else when when, what we're doing in our personal lives. I just think that because my account for whatever reason, got very popular, especially among women who were able to see someone who looked like them or had the sense of humor that they had or were as young as they were or, you know, had the Valley Girl accent and the vocal fry that they did and the long hair. I get a lot of comments about that. People said, people, women saying, I thought I had to cut my hair into a bob to be an attorney. And I think, honey, where did you hear that? Like not saying that, you know, there, there aren't certain, you know, uh, dress codes in court and things and, you know, having your hair back. I typically have my hair in a bun when I was arguing, but I realized 
very quickly that this account was part of my job in the sense that if I am not making the legal world a more inclusive and more open place where, where some things that were previously in the dark about law school or about being a lawyer are now in the open, then that, then that is part of my job. Then that's something that I should be able to do. So, you know, I, I have fun with it. So that, that makes the time pass so quickly, but absolutely. I get a negligent amount of sleep. hundred percent making the legal industry more inclusive. That's a thing that needs to happen, but also kind of what you're talking about just breaking a mold of what people think an attorney, particularly a female attorney, is supposed to act and look like a Bob. Humor, I think, is often undervalued in like professional positions. <laughs> you're serious, you're a lawyer. And so when other people see like, oh, that person has a sense of humor, they're funny. You're talking about very tense situations. Being able to make someone smile during something like that is totally undervalued. Absolutely. And I am a very, very loud proponent of being a person and being an attorney and attorneys who've practiced for a long time and who have achieved, you know, varying levels of success, I think will echo that will say that showing their clients that they are a person, that they are someone who who can be empathetic and who can understand and who can listen and who can acknowledge the differences in their upbringing, their background from their clients or understand and acknowledge that even though they've done this for 20 years and they have 20 years experience, they can absolutely learn from someone who is just now entering the field who might have a bright, fresh new take on this area of law, on this burden shifting analysis that they might not have have thought of previously. Attorneys who have a sense of humor and who are able to find light in a lot of things and able to be more, not necessarily laid back as in not type A, because I'm very type A person, but just taking things as they come and not taking themselves too seriously end up being more successful and and absolutely as a trial attorney being more agreeable and approachable and friendly in front of in front of a jury than someone who is the rigid attorney that we all think of right we think of like to kill a mockingbird that kind of attorney who is just completely put together, doesn't have any life outside of being an attorney. They are just in this courtroom and they leave and they're a robot and they're turned off and then they're turned back on when they need to go into the courtroom. And that's not the reality. I think of the, the women in this field who in pop culture or otherwise, who I kind of had in my mind to look up to or to, or to think about and, and to see myself as. And I think of this now in hindsight because at the time I wasn't, I don't think I was really thinking about it. I was just thinking as, as one does, as I do, because of who I am as a person, like I'm going to pave my way no matter what, it's going to be fine. And you meet along the way in law school, in your, in practice, so many women who, who are like you, who, who are of varying ages and races and degrees and, and backgrounds and yes. experience levels. And so you think, oh, oh, that's fine. But for people who are thinking about law school and for people who aren't yet decided or for, or for young girls, young teenagers who want to see someone other than just legally blonde in pop culture, who they can look up to, I didn't realize until now how open of a space there was to be filled by women 
who are in this field, who have a voice, who are of varying, you know, personalities and education levels and practice levels and practice areas. Because even if I'm just sitting on TikTok talking about something completely irrelevant to the law or just talking about my day or telling jokes, whatever, I've had hundreds, if not thousands of DMs from women and teenagers and girls that literally, that make me sob where they just say, I'm just so happy that I can be a person. I'm so happy that I can be, you're still a lawyer. That's so cool. That blows my mind. And even though as practicing attorneys, that doesn't blow our minds because I know a lot of me, I'm a copy and paste of a lot of different people. I think that there hasn't been that. So to the extent that social media can open the door for so many other attorneys like me to show young girls and young women that you can be many different things. You can be multifaceted and be successful is extremely important. You are definitely onto something there because in media, books, TV, film, there's very little representation for female lawyers to begin with. You mentioned Legally Blonde. There's a handful of court shows, Ally McBeal. There's very little representation to begin with. And that representation is very exactly. <laughs> I'm not seeing it here in Hollywood, but I am seeing it here on social media, TikTok, Instagram. That's a very true thing. Anytime I talk about issues in the law or social issues in, in our field that specifically relate to being a woman in this field, right? When it comes to discrimination and harassment and ridicule or, or constantly, constantly, constantly being asked if you're the paralegal every time you walk into a damn room, everyone always says, well, there are more women than men in this field. Like, what's the problem? You know, like, don't you, isn't everything fine? Doesn't that fix that problem? Right. Like I've genuinely had people tell me that with a straight face and fine, let's talk about it. In 20, right. In 2020, there were about 62% of all lawyers were men, meaning that 47% ish were women, which is the highest that it has ever been. Right. It's historic high men are still the highest earners by far. 78% of all equity partners in the United States are men. Why is that? Why is that? Well, if you ask any female attorney, they'll tell you why, because the people who have been in power and who are in positions of power have been notably white men, statistically, not, not an opinion, just an objective observation. And it's not just with firms, you know, 73% of all federal judges are men, 80% of those are white. There's just so many, seven, okay, 79% of elected prosecutors are men and 95% are white. There are so many things in this field that are disproportionate to a degree that I don't think the general public and most people believe, they would believe, but they don't see and they don't really recognize and they don't, they don't think of. I scream this statistic from the rooftop that always shocks people is I say 5% of all attorneys in the United States are black, 5%. That's it. 1% black women. 1% of black women. So when you have, you know, shows like how to get away with murder, right? Annalise Keating, she's front and center being an attorney and being a black woman. That is absolutely the minority in our field to a degree that some people would absolutely be floored and shocked at and want to be changed if they knew enough about it. And they, and, and these numbers were broadcast everywhere. And so many, the ABA comes out with studies every year, talking to women, talking to black women, asking, you know, Latino women, any other ethnicity, any other race in this field, in addition to the, what, like one, 2% that are black women, it's, it, that number is frighteningly small as well. They ask them, 
you know, why do you end up leaving this field? Why do you end up, you know, quitting your job at this firm or, or another? And it's obviously, but also statistically because of the discrimination and the harassment and the treatment that they get, because they are one of way too many who don't look like them. And, you know, I think that being a white woman in this field is being someone who comes from privilege. I am very privileged to be a white woman. Absolutely. Especially because, you know, we were the first ones who were able to get our foot in the door to be in this field, you know, to starting off and being that has to absolutely come with the requirement that I am doing everything I can to put my foot in the door, to leave it open for the next woman, black woman, Mexican woman, Latino woman, indigenous woman, Native American woman to come in the door. And I might be, you know, a naive young attorney. I'm only a second year, but at the very least, if a million people that follow me can have these numbers and statistics shoved in their face all the time and accompany that with encouragement for women who watch my videos, who, who might be black women, who might see, you know, me talking about it and think, you know, I want to be part of that. I want to make that number bigger Then that is just as important as drafting a motion that's due to file tomorrow. A hundred percent. I think what you mentioned about, you know, why do black women leave the legal industry? Why do they leave the profession? Why do women leave the profession? And I think opportunity is also part of it. The statistic that this podcast was born on was that only 19% of managing partners in law firms are women. <laughs> so we're at, you're at 50% now, almost 50% of lawyers are women and only 20% of them are managing the firms. And anyone who's here will tell you that it's not for lack of experience or credential or worthiness. There are so many women, even in the firms that I've worked at, that I, you know, the firms that, that I've ex have experience with where I've looked around and thought, yeah, there are women here who should not be in the position that they, they should be higher. They should be higher. And then, you know, that does not even consider the fact that I, uh, you know, the amount of men that I've met in positions of power at firms who, if they, you know, were women, I would say that their experience and how do I put this lightly, their practice, their, their unethical practices, those would not have flown. A woman would not have been able to do what they do and be in a partner position, in my opinion, but because they are men in this field, they are able to, you know, be a little bit more loosey-goosey when it comes to a lot of things than women have to be and are required to be and are expected to be. We have to be unemotional. We have to be type A. We have to be rigid. We have to be perfect when it comes to courtroom, when it comes to all of these things. And, you know, to say that the 19% of all equity partners in the U S are women to say that, Oh, well, that number's, you know, increasing or getting, you know, the women who had to be that to be an equity partner, they had to do things that no man had to do to get there. twice as hard, 10 times harder. Mm -hmm. And I also, like you said about uh, privilege, white woman, as you succeed and you move up, take someone with you. It gives me chills only because everything that I am as an attorney and as someone in this field and new and starting out, I am because so many women that I've met in this field have taken me with them when it comes to the way they think, 
the way they practice, the way they treat other people, the way they treat office staff, the way they treat the court clerk, the way they treat the judge, the way they treat opposing counsel. I have watched, I have observed, and I have been taken with them, even if they didn't always know it. I am a product and Mm -hmm. a proud demonstration of every woman that came before me who told me and showed me how to do this in a way that preserves the respect and integrity of our field and profession, but also makes it known that we are women in this field and we are good at it and we can be good at it. Amen. Do you have a terrible deposition you could read for us? Or do you have a favorite one you could read for us? The defendant says, judge, it's ridiculous making a plant illegal. It's like saying God was wrong. Judge, Mr. Jones, I am so sorry to tell you this, but making a plant illegal was the very first thing God did. (laughs) Judge isn't wrong. (laughs) Judge is not wrong. Women like Reb offer a new perspective on law and how it is represented. As you climb the ranks, share your story, hold the door open and pull others with you. We know that women and people of color are abysmally underrepresented in the legal field. But the new card of Summer Associates in 2021 offer a glimmer of hope. According to the most recent report on diversity for U.S. law firms from Berkeley, the percentage of Summer Associates of color grew by nearly five percentage points to more than 41% of all Summer Associates in 2021. This is the largest gain in the 29 years that Berkeley has gathered these findings. And... Women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row, and one quarter of all summer associates were women of color. The challenge, however, remains that this diversity is mirrored at the partner level. To train and develop the new generation, it is imperative that the attorneys of today help close the gap and create a community in which diversity flourishes through decisive action. A huge thank you to Rob Maisel for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Law Her with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazer in your life. For more about Reb, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Law Her, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.